Hi, y'all. So this week we tackle code switching, um, but it feels like the overarching topic was about identity. So how and if others' cultural identity can be claimed by white people um, and how we claim this idea of, of black identity as black women. We explore what might be referred to as cultural appropriation by white people operating in the aid sector via the sector's promotion of this concept of cultural competency. So in other words, where is the line between cultural sensitivity and adaptation and gratuitous cultural mimicry? In terms of code switching specifically, we talk about learning to code switch as black women during childhood, throughout our adolescence, and early adulthood in white-dominated educational institutions, and how this practice continues for us as professional adults. We also debate who can code switch and who cannot, especially when we consider that code switching by many non-white people is used as a survival strategy. Honestly, I hesitated to post this episode because of this weird sort of incongruity between the seriousness of the subject matter and the pretty humorous way in which we debate it. But in the spirit of releasing this compulsion of perfection, I chose to share it. Um, as always, if you are a black woman working in the aid sector and you have a personal story you'd like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn and also check out and follow the SBWR LinkedIn page. Happy listening. Hello, everybody, and hey. welcome to um, another episode of Still Black Women Rise. Um, I have my lovely co-host Chi Chi is here and we have a new awesome guest Delia and we're going to be talking about code switching today. Um, and I was kind of thinking about so Delia and I when, when we first connected um, we were talking about this. I don't know how we even got on that topic and we started talking about I think it was with you. It was either with you or someone yeah. else. And it was because I I, you couldn't quite place my accent. Yes, that's what it was. I couldn't place her her accent. I thought she was British. And then <laughs> anyway, it was this whole thing. And then we started talking about that. And so, and then just before we, you know, like I signed on to Zoom, I was trying to figure like what the definition of code switching is because I mm. just thought to myself, is it, you know, kind of changing, is it something only like non-white people do? So is this something that, you know, BIPOC people do when we're, you know, interacting with non, with white people? But then I thought as a woman, I think there's some code switching that I also do when I'm interacting with men, you know? So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just only specific to, to non-white people. Um, but so anyway, we're talking about that today and Delia um, was gracious enough to come on and share her personal experience with code switching. And she's gonna talk about how that has shown up for her, um, in, her in her work life. And you know, what is that, what has that been like? Because part of me also kind of imagines when after that conversation we had, I started thinking about, I became more aware of the ways that I do that and I was just, you know, I've just become more conscious of it and thinking about how exhausting it can actually be but on a very kind of subconscious level. Um, so she's going to share her experience and then we'll just have like a, a larger discussion, group discussion together. So, Cordelia. <laughs> so I, I, I will say my environment shaped that subconscious ability to code switch. I'm 
I'm Ugandan, but raised by an Asian, South Asian Ugandan family. So that's already um, having um, an environment where some of the family speaks Luganda, some parts speak Swahili, some parts speaks Urdu, another part speaks Gujarati. Wow. And so from very early on, very subconsciously, you see, if, if I was talking to my grandfather or talking, depending on who I was speaking with, if I didn't um, switch my intonation and pronunciation of words, then I found out that I'd have to keep repeating myself. So subconsciously, I just began to mirror the intonation of whoever I would be speaking with because it just made life a whole lot um, easier. And then because the um, primary uh, curriculum in Uganda is taught in English, and I was just privileged to have um, sudden teachers and principals that had been foreign trained, and most of them um, had the British intonation and um, uh, speech patterns. So that I adopted from, from school without, without knowing it. And then when I came into the, um, into the work environment, again, um, being privileged to work with people from so many different corners of the world, I subconsciously discovered that when I imitated, actually I never knew I was doing it until a sociology class um, late in my undergrad and this topic came up, code switching, because before I thought there was something wrong with me, I was being phony, why couldn't I just be my true self and just be consistent regardless of who I would be speaking with? And then I realized, and, and this was a sociology class, we were covering um, minorities in the US and how the second, first and second generation migrants in, um, in the um, Latin American and uh, Asian and African communities, um, how they cope and, and the difference in coping between, depending on the generation that they come from in terms of where the first generation immigrants and so on. And so code switching came up um, as a topic. And that's when I was like, oh, this is actually a natural phenomenon. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me, thank God. <laughs> in the work environment, um, again, I think I also had to code switch being a female, being in a sometimes in chauvinistic environments where I had to dumb myself down, mm. where I had to slow my speech wow. um, for the comfort of who I'd be speaking to. Mm. Um, you know, if you, again, um, TJ, you would know like in Uganda, again, the dialects change, the pronunciation changes depending on the region you go to. So if I'm speaking to a guard from a predominantly Northern part of Uganda, I will definitely change how I, I, I speak to him because it, it makes him let his guard down. He will treat me differently and the conversation will just flow a lot faster. But also it, it has implications when you are in a society that is very tribalistic as well, where how you're treated sometimes, well, in some, these days increasingly more, is dependent on the tribe that you belong to. And a lot of times you can tell this from the pronunciation um, of words. So for example, if I was talking to a security guard from up north, I'd be like, ah, oh, my brother, come on now. You know these things, we have to do them. You know, I have to change. If I'm talking to somebody from, from 
who's Swahili speaking, again, I have to change it. Jameni kaka wangu. Jameni. So it just, again, you want to get to the point. You want to get to the bottom of things. You want to, you want to, I guess, rub people's ego the right way just so you can get what you need to get and get moving on. Yeah. And so this then also carries over to the workplace where if I'm speaking to, um, a, a, a Romanian colleague or I'm speaking to an Uzbek colleague if I sound like them especially in circumstances where with the technical assistance that I give it's somebody saying you know this topic better than I do help me figure it out and if I sound a little bit like them I find that the reception is different and also sometimes depending on the institution you represent where there's some already underlying not animosity, but you know, when people feel like, oh, those UN people think they know it all, or those World Bank people think they know it all. And you want to kind of come from the point of view of I'm 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 just me and this is just a skill I have and I want to lend it to you in the best way I can. And sort of humanize yourself mm -hmm. um independent of this institution and their perception of of the institution. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think one of the things I thought was interesting about what you said was the dumbing down part, um, which I hadn't thought of. Because so now I'm thinking like the code switching is like much broader than just like, you know, the language and intonation, because I, I feel like I actually find myself doing that in the presence of white people. You know, uh -huh. because of that whole angry black woman stereotype where uh -huh. I know I know something, but I have to act like I don't know as much as I know because I don't want to come across as arrogant to you. You know what I mean? So I'll just like reserve my opinion or just, oh, that's interesting. I may know it. And then you'll say it to me and I'll go, oh, that's really interesting because it's like, you know, and I do. You also want your idea to be received for what it is. Right. Not for who is delivering yes, the idea. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly, but I did notice when you said that, I was like, oh, that's that's actually something that I do. And I wonder how many other black women do that as well. But I think also women do it, Yeah. Again, I guess, depending on the environment you've grown up in, but just being women mm -hmm. where, when you're talking to fellow women, it's different. But say you want the, I'll give you an example. You want the office driver to prioritize your parcel going from your office yeah. to say the U.S. Embassy, right? So yeah. like, come on, John, uh, wait, yeah. which you wouldn't do <laughs> with a fellow female. You should be like, oh, you're trying that on the wrong person, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot broader. Um, and I, I wonder also, I, I really thought what was interesting when you're talking about like the cultural context that you're from and then different tribal things and yep. dynamics and you know your own background being raised in the context where you were raised a very multicultural and i was thinking about um i i don't know where i'm going with this but i guess because i was born and raised in west africa and i went to high school in west africa with you know people who look like me wow um and high school is really a formative Yeah, period. but I, I mean, I also, I mean, obviously like the privilege that goes with that is like, I went to the French school, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you learn to speak a certain way and then 
you know, we would come to the States for like summer camps. And so I was in Minnesota of all places. So I was exposed to, you know, white people and, you know, the way they speak and the way they think. And I don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily like started changing the way that I speak, or I don't know if I changed the way I speak when I speak with white people, because I, this is just the way that I speak. I think what I tend to do is actually be very aware of my accent and the way I speak when I'm speaking to black people in America, which is weird because I feel like there is, and I could be totally wrong, but I, I feel like, I always feel like they think I'm coming across as pretentious and that I'm speaking like this, but that's not really the way I speak, but it is. Um, and I remember in college, I went to college in Minnesota again, only because that's where my father went to college and he insisted you go there. But, you know, so it's basically meeting people from Iowa who had never seen a black person, supposedly. Um, and I remember, you know, it was like a very international school. So like, you know, the school has issues because it was basically substituting international students for black students. It's like, oh, we're, you know, we're multicultural and we're diverse, but you know, you're not seeing any, you know, Asian Americans or black Americans. It's really like we're bringing in the diversity, <laughs> the non-threatening diversity from outside of America. And so I remember, you know, there was this, this tension between um, black American women and, the other black women. So like from the Caribbean, um, women from Africa. And there was this tension between us. And I remember this new Dean came in as a black woman, associate Dean of students. And she wanted to create this black women's collective. And so she's like, we need to gather all of us together as you know, black women and you know, in solidarity and do things on campus. And I remember the first meeting was so intense and people were crying, people were pissed off. And the one thing I remember was the black American women saying to the rest of us, you don't think you're black because you act this way and you speak, but it's just like, we're coming from a completely different cultural context. And so I still carry with me this weird, this weird thing where this discomfort when I'm speaking to, to black Americans I feel like they're judging me. It's like, this could be all in my mind, right? But I, I just like, it's not. I, feel like it's, I have to change the way I speak sometimes because I'm being perceived as you're not acting black, if that makes sense, you know? It's not in your mind. It is a, it is a, it is a reality. And, and before I get to, to my experience with the Africans, African Students Union at, in college, you know, it would be very interesting also for, for you to, for us to think about the impact of French school. I know, mm. yes. The colonial education. <laughs> but not, not only colonial, I, I find there's a difference from the Anglo experience mm. and the Franco found yeah. experience in, 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 in Africa um, per se mm -hmm. and <laughs> sometimes when you know we're jo we, we joking we're like yeah you know the francophone africans don't think they're even african they think they're French. <laughs> i didn't know that was a thing because the way they carry themselves and and you know we'll talk sometimes we i, I might want my best friend um one of my best friends she's algerian 
And she's like, oh yeah, you know, French, French think French speaking Egyptians, they're not Egyptian. They think Egypt is in, is in Africa, but Africa is not in Africa for them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, there's the, to what extent did French, the, the French schooling or going to a French school influence your perception of yourself, but also yeah. more importantly, people's perception of you. I was um, listening to a podcast, BBC, and it was about how the, this lady was talking about how Anglophone Cameroonians got the they always get the short end of the deal and they're not as included and they don't feel as part of the society as the francophone cameroonians and i never knew that 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 even existed wow mm-hmm. so the so the the association with your previous colonial um master mm-hmm. makes things definitely interesting in terms of having to navigate um relations with our african-american sisters I struggled in my first two semesters in college because I was coming from Uganda and I, I couldn't understand a word they were saying. So I couldn't understand what they were saying just because of the speed at which they were saying things. And there was a lot of slang. And so I just kept quiet for a very long time during conversations. But then when we wanted to reignite what I found at that time to be the African Students Union, we found ourselves in the position of the sisters from the Caribbean and the sisters from um, and, and African-American sisters feeling like we were not being inclusive enough. Mm. And we, we struggled with that for quite a while and, and felt like we, we found ourselves sometimes being too apologetic, but not even knowing what we were apologizing for right. Right. because we didn't we felt ashamed to acknowledge that we're different and skin color alone was not enough right you know because you feel like we should be like the like your former dean in solidarity Mm -hmm. and likeness of experiences feeds into solidarity so we struggled with that for a bit but we then found common ground which was music and food yeah right so a lot of our events then focused on music and food and learning more about Africa and doing things um fundraisings for different things for um programs on the continent yeah yeah and stayed away from a lot of the social racial discourse because we did not feel competent to address it because we didn't have the African-American experience and I think particularly so that and, and for me, I recognize that the female African-American experience yeah. is way different yeah. from the male one. Yeah. It, has, it, it has a completely other layer that I didn't want to pretend to, um, to understand. And, and I, I will say that experience, there was a lot of learning. There was always so much to discover. Like some of it very hurtful, very painful rather. Like yeah. when suddenly... African-American girls, when they're little, are, are adorable. They're beautiful. They're charming. They're cute. And then somewhere along the way, they become a threat. And it just broke my heart that, yeah. so what changed? It's the same child. And a friend of mine was trying to explain it to me. And she said, the environment. And, mm-hmm. But nobody ever prepares the young girls for that transition. Right. 
of how they're going to be perceived as a grown woman, how automatically people are going to assume that she's loud, she's bitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when you say you have to speak a certain way when you are interacting with um, African-American sisters, I hear you. Mm-hmm. But, I, but you also find that depending on which African-American sisters you're speaking with also, it varies. And yeah. I will say maybe t- to an extent dependent on the level of education. I feel like there are so many layers, right? Because it's like, I can also talk about how I didn't have any choice but to code switch because code switching for me was purely an act of survival, depending on what space I found myself in. Like they pulled me out of public school and quickly threw me into, um, back into like, well, it was ultimately my first experience being in predominantly white spaces. I went to Catholic middle school and high school. Um, I was the only black person in my middle school program. And the Catholic church in uh, the school institution that I went to in North Carolina, as you can imagine, North Carolina is a very, um, let's just say lots of conservatives. <laughs> wow. So it was, it was a challenge. Right. And yeah. you know, just being thrown into all these different spaces. And then when it came time to go to college, like I went to UNC Chapel Hill for undergrad, predominantly white institution, but we, um, at UNC, we did have, um, it was interesting. We had a black student movement, black student union, and we also had the African students. Um, we, our African student organization was called Oasis. And even within that African student organization, actually all of the East Africans, like they broke away at one point in time wow. and formed the Horn of Africa organization <laughs> because they were overwhelmed by the Nigerians. Nigerians. <laughs> <laughs> Taking over. So I think that, you know, but I share all these different pieces yeah. just to say there are layers and layers and yeah. it's just like an onion it because is. it really depends on your status, your class, mm-hmm. your, <laughs> where you are literally geographic. What do so you think about Maimuna's question though, that do, do p- white people mm-hmm. have to code switch with the frequency that people of color do no you know what though i think they code switch but in a racist way and it's just like when they start using hey girl and like this stupid shit it's like their assumption that yeah. every black person speaks that way number one and we all have to code switch and we yeah. all have the same culture but they i feel like they do it in a way that it's like verbal blackface do you know what yeah. i mean it's just like i agree i hate that shit and I, think, I don't think they're, they're how would how would we how would one distinguish a verbal blackface from genuine code switching from a genuine place of I want to feel as comfortable as possible and I want to make this colleague of mine feel comfortable in this conversation. I think it's mocking. I just like what would be the basis of how would they even know where to begin? Like, how could they code switch? <laughs> They're not finding themselves so in predominantly black spaces. I, so what's informing ask, their ability? What's informing their ability my to code switch? Right? In, in the sense that, and, and also you, Chichi, in the sense that for your colleagues who have been, that have been there for a long time, mm-hmm. and you can very easily tell those, that, those staff that have been there for a while and those staff that are new, and it comes in how they speak, their intonation, the kind of jokes they mm. crack, like they're very relevant. And I think 
they're very effectively and efficiently code switching because in a heartbeat in a phone call they will have the most irish accent ever <laughs> when they're calling home who's code switching you know the the about, white right? people you're, the you're white in our spaces okay. in our workspaces mm -hmm. depending on the longevity of their assignments within country but they're finding themselves in predominantly they are not the predominant population in those spaces and they are forced to not necessarily they're not forced to assimilate they're not forced to do anything yeah but um <laughs> as it relates those to that don't right but they're those that don't even make an effort i feel like there's like a nuance between I'm like realizing there's like the, the code switching that you do just that's kind of inherent to like how we as non-white people and people who very often are not the dominant group in any space are doing which as a way of survival as Chi Chi says it's professional yeah. survival it's so whatever it is but then I think there's you know this code switching that you mentioned for example Delia with the driver or other black people or other people who look like me that I'm doing because I'm trying to put you at ease and I've done that where I'm just like okay listen I'm not like all the way up like I'm trying to literally put you at ease and make you comfortable so I'm going to switch the way I speak it's like the code switching with men but I feel like there's a specific kind of code switching that some white people do where, and granted, there are some white people who have grown up, you know, in context where they were perhaps like Chi Chi, the only white person, and all of the rest are Black Americans. And so they've grown up with that language, and they've been exposed to the culture. And so that's how they speak. But I think there's a specific kind of code switching, if we could call it that, that some white people do, where it's just kind of insulting. Do you know what I mean? It's just, there's no need for it in a sense. There is a way for you to sort of relate to the person in another way that doesn't involve you sort of in a very fake mocking way, use words that you've taken from a rap song or from popular culture. And you think that every single black person speaks that way. And so therefore you're just like girl this and girl that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's so, explicit and blatant that it's just there's other ways to relate to people that don't involve using stereotypical black language it just i think it's i don't even know if, it, know if it's called code switching i feel like there's like another word for it because it, it's not born of necessity it's just something like oh i'm free to test out this language that i think is very cool because you're black so here's my opportunity to practice using. It almost sounds like it's it's hypocritical when they do it and not hypocritical when we do. Because I don't think it's come from the same place. I think it, you, I don't think it's comparable. Think we have to look at the power dynamics. <laughs> yeah. If you pull out the power, if you're not willing to incorporate that lens and look at the power dynamics, <laughs> then it's not gonna make sense to you. That's not yeah. how it works. Like, if I'm having a code switch as a means of, as an act, if I literally, I mean, to me, it's equivalent to people that immigrate to the US and change, like my first name is Chinanye. If I wanna assimilate and blend in, I'm, you know, then I'll do like exactly what my parents did. Like before I started going to spaces where I had to mix with people that didn't look like me, people called me Nanye, Chinanye. Immediately I went to school, I started going to school. That's when everyone started calling me Donna, 
Why? Because it's like, oh, well, I don't want for people to form prejudices against you. We have to do, you know, like once again, an act of survival versus like a white person who immigrates to Uganda because they want to learn all about the culture and they love cultural exchange. And it's like, it's just not the same thing. (laughs) That really annoys me. It's just like cultural appropriation to me. It's just because you can use your English words, like, you know what I mean? You can speak to, like, I could understand if you learn the language and you're going to work in the communities where they don't speak English, right? But if you're speaking to an English speaking person, just speak English. Like, I don't see as a white person what the survival mode is for them. Even if they were the one minority with a whole bunch of black people, there's no survival. It's not, it's not survival mode, mode in terms of I'm so intimidated by this majority culture that I'm in vis-a-vis I want these people that I'm working with to feel at ease with me. I want to sound as much like them so that they don't, they don't, they look beyond my skin color, beyond my ethnic background to we are colleagues, we're working on the same thing. She <laughs> doesn't buy that. Devil's advocate. <laughs> That's not where they're coming from. But I'm not white, so let me not superimpose, but I can guarantee you they're not my Muna, I think my Muna knows there's, there's one particular person, I don't know if I can mention them here, but there's one particular person that keeps coming to my mind that works with my Muna. Uh, are they black? No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't bring them up if if, if they were black. They're- no. What? Oh, are you talking about the person that's in charge of that one region? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so what was your point with them? <laughs> the, point being that, the point being that they take on the intonation and, and mm-hmm. the linguistic traits of how English is spoken in the, in the region right. more mm-hmm. to put the other person at ease rather than out of a fear of, oh, I'm the only white person in this environment. You it's know more of, because I'm the only white person, I want us to move beyond that and talk about the work we're doing and I, focus on that. I agree with, I agree with that. I, I don't. But I think that the reason why they're doing that is because that's what they're taught to do. And from the moment that I started working in international development as an American, we always had tons of trainings and courses that focus on like how can we be culturally competent the need to be culturally competent before the international development community started getting tons of backlash saying that's not possible it's not possible for you to be competent in my culture right right you can learn you can learn i can expose you i can give you insight i can give you even me myself i'm not you do you know how many times i have like I'm I'm in a leadership role and I'm always I feel like I'm so self-conscious about it because it's been drilled in my head it's like I'm not Ugandan how dare I like this is not my culture I feel like we're trained and once again I see that as social conditioning I don't see that as an act of survival we're literally trained to behave like that it's not like it's coming from I can't speak for that person that you're talking about but I just find it hard to believe that that's coming from within because I feel like it's something that's been drilled into me, even when it comes to like professional development, right from jump, just being in this space as someone who is American. Yeah. Because I'm essentially representing America here. Yeah. I'm Nigerian, but they don't look at that. Like, yeah. 
I mean, honestly, it, it feels very colonial uh, when, you know, like, it's like, I, and I, I like the person she's even mentioning, because I'm just thinking about like the past, the last 12 years, I was, you know, working in the development sector in Africa and encountering these very same characters who are like using the specific sorts of words, you know, and that you use in Cote d'Ivoire, for example, and like they're French and white. And I'm just like, why are you speaking that way? And it's not something that I ever did, FYI, because it just, it's, it just seems so sort of like, it just seems weird. Do you know what I mean? It's like acting or something, but the way that they do it to me is almost like, almost kind of colonial as in like coming into this community and honestly it's just very performative to me it's very performative i think that it's it's very deliberate and i think that it's very thought out um i think that when i that's my opinion i feel like when i'm doing yeah. i'm not thinking about you know when you go to a restaurant with your colleagues right and they yeah. have to order water Yes. Right. Uh -huh. So he, he said, give us five bottles of water versus please give us five bottles of water. What's <laughs> going to come faster? And, and, and they have to and you have to do that. But that's not code switching. You're just using a word for water and pronouncing it the way that they understand the word water. If, if we, if, if we look at the literal meaning of, I mean, literal definition of code switching, right? practice of alternating between two or more languages or varieties of language or shifting your linguistic code yeah. to depend on the social context. But what Maimuna is speaking to is intentionality. Like, because yes. I'm like, I'm even like, even as I'm hearing you just like share and explain like what's considered to be performative, I can see tons of white people coming in and like perhaps listening to this podcast and saying, well, that's just not true because in many cases, like even me myself, I remember when I first learned French, right? Where did uh -huh. I really truly learn my French? I learned it in Burkina Faso. So yeah, of course I wasn't speaking proper French. So then I would travel to countries like Senegal and the moment I start speaking French, it's like, oh, vous êtes Burkinabé? Yeah. And then like, I'm just thinking about how like Burkinabé, like the Burkinabés, they loved it. They loved it. Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, like you, are Burkina Bay. No, like, voila, to it, like, to your Burkina Bay, right? It's not that you're going speaking proper French. You were speaking French the way they speak. There's a way we speak French in Niger. There's a way we speak right. French in Cote d'Ivoire. And I have never, I can mimic the way of a prop, like a French, French person speak. I can, I have never done that. I went to a French high school. I got my baccalaureate in French. I never spoke that way. But I'm saying is, I think there's a difference. And what made you feel not to speak that way if that's how you were trained to speak it? my accent could never be like I started speaking English before I learned French so my accent will never be a French accent and I was never trying I've and now on the flip side though and this is another thing that irritates me is I have encountered other black people in Africa who do do that code switching very heavily and then start speaking very very heavy French accent like they want to sound French and that aggravates the hell out of me Senegal and let me ask let me ask something right let me ask something if you learn a language, shouldn't you speak? So if I, if I was to learn Arabic, I would have to sound Arab yeah. because that is the language I am speaking. I think there's a difference between learning to speak a language and pronounce the words so people can understand versus 
let me speak it the way that a Parisian would speak it. And then there's different accents in, in France as well. Like there's a provincial, I think, Midi or whatever. Or let me speak English the way a Canadian does because they pronounce their U very differently. But I'm, I can still speak English with my Canadian colleague without mimicking Laura and being like about whatever. Like I can just say to her about. But I feel like this is not about. very, I feel like that once again, there are layers because the reason why I feel so strongly about this is because I'm Nigerian and like, I feel like the point that you're making, Maimuna, that's what my mom always tells me about. Anytime I'm like, if I try to speak, which I hate this, she's like, why are you, she's like, anytime you try to like use a Nigerian intonation or, you know, like if I try to speak like my aunties and uncles, if I'm like, ah, ah, why, why do they talk to me like that now? My right. mom, that pisses my mom off. And growing up, she used to always say, stop doing that. Stop. Yeah. Like, you're not nice. Like, whenever you do it's that, so it just seems like you're mimicking me. And I'm like, that's not fair. If you don't speak like that normally, why would you start doing that? But it's not an exaggeration. If I feel a deep connection, if I feel a deep connection to my evil heritage and my evil culture, that's on you. Yeah, if okay. you don't, if like at the end of the day, yes, I was born and raised in America. Yes, I have an American accent, but I do like, yeah. I'm actually angry. I'm angry at my mom and my dad yeah. for going out of their way to over assimilate to American culture to the point where you are disgusted. You're disgusted because I'm speaking, I'm attempting to speak like that of the people where you come, yeah. when we were trying to speak like our own, you had a problem with it. Right. You were just, there was just such a strong disdain. That actually is your cultural heritage. And, but if a white person were doing that, I take offense to it because they're not even <laughs> in any freaking way. For those of you who have interacted with non-American Caucasians, mm -hmm. yes. is yes. the experience similar? What do you mean? A, a, a Dutch person, a German person, an Italian person, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that their code switching, would you perceive their code switching to be more genuine? No. <laughs> I, again, I think there is a difference between learning a language that you need to learn to communicate with people and then mm -hmm. adopting certain mannerisms or expressions or intonations, which to me is very gratuitous and also just feels like it's just really performative for white people. It's just, if you want to go and learn Mandarin, go learn Mandarin so that you can <laughs> communicate with people in Mandarin. But then as far as like taking like specific, cause they'll like put in the whole mannerisms and the whole like, it's like mimicking. And it's just like, yeah. you are not from that culture. Stop fucking appropriating it. Speak to the person in the language that you use. They can understand you. You don't have to put on a performance. They understand. <laughs> it just drives yeah. me. I don't do that shit. I'm, I'm, I'm a little stuck on that one because I would yeah. fall in the category of, I, I wouldn't, I, hmm, I wouldn't define it as mimicry, but more as mirroring. So for example, I had a team of um, colleagues that came from, from Laos, right? Mm -hmm. And very quickly, you, you notice body language. 
Mm -hmm. right how the female's body language is different from the males you keep your hands to yourself you cross your palms over you know you keep even when you're speaking you keep your right palm on top of your left palm like sudden gestures and again because of I guess background and and, and nurture subconsciously my body language changes to mirror Mm -hmm. that person so they can focus on what I'm telling them not on what I'm doing. So I'm not going to go and wrap my arm around a a Laotian man during a meeting because then all the attention shifts from, oh my God, like this is against our cultural norm. Of course. So in that incidence, is that being, is that making a mockery of that norm? It's like you're going to certain contests. I remember in some organizations where I worked and they were going to do like a side visit. And we know in this particular community, men do not shake women's hands. I'm not going to go in and extend my hand to a bunch of men. Like, I get it. Don't do it. But I think that's different from going into a meeting with a white colleague. Hey, girl. It's like, what? You don't, I don't understand. Like, have you ever heard me speak to you that way? Um, Do you speak that way to your other colleagues? Like, we're both speaking English. I don't know why we need to go into these (laughs) exaggerations of shit that you've pulled out of like a movie or something like you're not Eminem. Okay. So it's, I think there's just, there's a difference between being sensitive to certain cultural practices. So yeah, you're not going to wrap your arm around someone in a specific culture. That's not done. Um, you might not go and hug someone in some context, you know, sometimes like people love to shake hands and like faire la bise and all of this stuff that I don't like it <laughs> personally. Like I like my personal space, but I've like, either in some cases have found situations that I try to like, like remove myself from it somewhat somehow, but in others I've just had to like, okay, fine, you know, and do that. But I think that's very different because it's like, there is a cultural custom versus you are choosing to start adopting certain very exaggerated behaviors or expressions or intonations because for no reason, there's no, it's not warranted. You can, you can connect with people in a way that makes them comfortable. I don't understand how you going in there as a white person doing all the stupid shit is actually, people just laugh. <laughs> Maimuna, so how about the fact that you feel like you have to code switch when you are speaking to African-Americans? They understand the English, you're speaking not, English. The, but the code switching is not using vernacular that I don't use. My father was African-American. I did not grow up hearing that. Do you know what I mean? So I know what I, I go with what I've learned and how I've learned to express myself, but I'm not going around like taking something that I have, like I, I understand what they're saying, but that's not something that I, it's not words that I use. So even coming out of my mouth, it'll sound even more pretentious because I like, I'm not used to using it. Do you know what I mean? I'm just not. It was like, it's just, it's like, it feels performative to me when I try I get you, story. <laughs> But I just don't think that white people should go there. I just like learn the language if you like. I mean, it's like when they go into the whole, like, let me start wearing le, le boubou, uh, le pagne, and the head wrap and all of this stuff. And let me braid my hair in cornrows and like walk through the village. You know, dude, <laughs> nothing is going to take away from the fact that you are white. Done. Accepted. But maybe find another way to connect. But maybe they're not trying to get away from the fact that well 
so just I guess for everybody listening or watching this, <laughs> these are our own personal opinions. And this is like a space that we have created for Black women to express ourselves because we have very few spaces to do that. Um, so this is just unfiltered opinions. <laughs> like people can be offended if they like. We are entitled yeah. to opinions. It's not an e certainly it's not an easy topic for yeah. sure. Yeah. You know what's funny though? What is what is interesting is when I came to the US for college in Minnesota, and I've heard other people say this as well, is like the you know, when I really started realizing, oh, I'm black. Like I knew I was black, right? And I grew up with black people, but everybody around me was black. But it's like a different kind of black when you get to the US. And what I what I thought was interesting, what I continue to find interesting is as soon as I open my mouth to white people that I don't know, like in a store or something, and they hear my accent, it seems like there is like a visible physical like relaxation that seems to happen with them. Oh, where are you from? Yes. You know what I mean? And then it's like- Yes, oh, I experienced that as well. You oh, know, you're not American. that black black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a yeah. different black. Race is, race is something so well. that's socially, it's social construction. Yeah. So. Yeah. So many nuances, so many layers. <laughs> there are a lot of layers. There, there are a lot of layers. Um, yeah, topic. I mean, because I, I also feel like there's no one explanation to my own um, experiences. Mm. Sometimes I'm being cheeky. Sometimes it's from mm -hmm. survival. Sometimes it's from just trying to be efficient. That's true. I'm going to repeat myself 10 times to get this across because it's the point across then how I'm delivering it that's um, right. more important yeah. and then trying to hold a mirror to myself or to somebody else and not assume I guess not really sure where this person's coming from is it survival is it yeah. being condescending or is it just trying to be efficient with language or with uh, mannerisms with dress um, code yeah. I think just the whole history of colonialism and slavery and all of this shit, you know, I just, just don't, just don't do it. It's just like, should white people be using the N-word the same way that, you know, black people use it, like, is like, you know, affectionately with each other, even, you know, no, no, don't use it. You know, you've not earned the right to use that white man or white woman. Don't use it. So I don't think that they should be taking anybody's culture, whether it's you know, any culture in Africa, Asia, the Middle East, the Caribbean, anywhere. No, don't do it, period. <laughs> it, learn the language, by all means, learn the language, learn the customs so you don't offend anybody. But I don't think it's necessary to go full blast in like a performance. We can understand what you're saying. Here's the thing, Maimuna. You said learn the culture, learn the language, but a lot, but with language spoken language comes body language right and so it's very difficult to say chineko in 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 a flat <laughs> well, i mean i've learned the word but i have to the actions have to go with it like chineko yeah. and and so is that person being you don't have because... to roll your neck when you're saying it but it's like people like my name is maimuna right in english maimuna in french don't call me Maymuna. So pronounce my name the way it's supposed to be pronounced. You don't say Maymuna. That's how you pronounce my name. Maymuna. 
question and i want you to think about we're, we're at a workshop workshop or whatever topic i don't know biodiversity workshop right and if a caucasian colleague speaks in their normal way what is the chance that people will not go away with the impression of there was being spoken down to what do you mean like they're speaking Did english you? Speaking English, no effort to incorporate any local context, uh, mannerisms, intonations, and what have you, vis-a-vis -vis when they do so. Do you, do you think that the audience will perceive that session as one where they were just spoken down to and not a conversation? I think that there's ways to get in conversation with people by adjusting mm -hmm. your presentation style, for mm -hmm. example. Maybe you are not the right person to even do the presentation. How about you have your colleague who is from that freaking country get up and do the fucking presentation? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's a way that you can engage the audience. Well, maybe you're the only, you're the only pasty culture agronomist person because it's just a recently discovered technique. Right. Again, there is a way to present information <laughs> and to simplify your concepts, to use images and pictures, to use analogies from the context that people would be able to relate to that doesn't involve you going there and just acting stupid. You know, it's just, I think there's another way to do it than having to appropriate somebody else's culture and just like stand up there and just mimic people. Um, if that's not you, again, if you were somebody and I, you know, some of my high school friends who were white, who are white people who, you know, grew up in Niger and there's like, obviously like there's a whole other level of controversy right there in itself. But, you know, in some cases were born in Niger, who grew up in Niger, who spoke Hausa and Zarma better than even me and more fluently. Mm -hmm. That is the context that they grew up in. I'm talking about some random white person who is just like arriving somewhere and is just like picking things like it's not you didn't grow up with that. You weren't exposed okay, to it. I, what fucking connection? I get, I get the distinction now. I get the distinction now. It's not genuine. So it's like, you can go ahead and speak French, dude, but you don't need to put all of that. <laughs> up. 
understand what you're saying. You know, it doesn't need to be the, you know, like we say like, ah, too, you know, for example, things like that. It's like, you don't need to say all of that. Like, I understand what you're saying. Just say it, you know, not with all of the other, the other shit. And it's like, you wear your boo-boo and your pattern with the African print and, you know, you're going in the dude, you have never dressed like this before. I could understand if it's like you're, you know, in a village, but then I think we're going back to the whole issue with the development sector in itself, right? Like the whole Peace Corps thing, all due respect to Peace Corps volunteers. My father was a Peace Corps volunteer. I think they are the Navy SEALs of the international development sector. But we are, what we are talking about is, I think you mentioned this some, at some, some discussion we were having, Chi Chi, is kind of going into these countries, you know, with like, we're gonna do an agriculture project. Let's use this as my learning ground. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, that's okay to do, to just go into a community and like just practice on people. You know, so there's like, oh, let me dress this way. And it, there's something just fundamentally fucked up about that, which I think it just goes to the core of this whole, the whole issue with this development sector, right? Of how we're actually, it's very colonial to me. It's just like, anyway, that is like, we're moving into a whole other episode topic, but I stand my ground. That's what I think. Like, I like the fact that we're ending this on a, in a space where we don't necessarily all agree like agree it's like we agree to disagree in some regards we do agree you know like and I think that that just shows like it also speaks to the diversity that we have even within yeah. our like when we think about the global black diaspora and I think that oftentimes because we unite on in many cases the fact that we're oppressed mm -hmm. in so many different ways I think that we're so used to like speaking to like, oh, unity, unity, we must unite, we yeah. must unite. But then it's like, some people feel like that's not even really possible. It's like, why do we go out of our way to unite when we don't necessarily all agree? Mm -hmm. You know, like if you, if you bring my mom into this conversation, she has very strong feelings yeah. and she definitely doesn't agree with me because we just have completely different upbringing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I really do appreciate the fact that we were able to have this conversation without things becoming heated or becoming nasty of course I, I mean I really feel like that's a big deal like I've participated yeah. in a few clubhouse sessions yeah. in the past couple of weeks months yeah. and there's been a lot of disrespect <laughs> I think um, all this has, come, has come from recognizing that there's just so many layers yeah and respecting respecting that fact right mm -hmm. right at the fluidity of, of, of the yes. context that we navigate every day from meeting to meeting, from interaction to yes. interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, on that note, Delia, uh, we would love to come back with <laughs> a controversial topic that we could all talk about. Um, so we're going to sign off. Um, thank you, Delia, again. Thank and you, ladies. This was fun. This it really was. was.